Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. But tonight we're talking about philia. Everybody say philia. And now you speak Greek, right? Add that to your resume. Go home, put it on there, update your LinkedIn. Philia, it comes from the Greek phileo. Now, often in scripture, when you see that, it's next to this other word, delphos. And when you put them together, philadelphos, you get Philadelphia, which is why it's called the city of brotherly love. Love, brother, boom. See? Easy. You're learning Greek already. That's two words now. Update your LinkedIn again. And then... Make sure you turn off notifications, because if you've got LinkedIn and the notifications are just, they're a nightmare. Anyway, that's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. It's named after a city in the ancient Mediterranean, and they then transplanted that name, put it in America, presto, you got Philadelphia. And philia is this beautiful, profound friendship between two peers, and we're going to get into that tonight. And I don't know if you're anything like me, no doubt you're at least like 40% less needy, but I was always that kid who was like, where's my best friend? Anybody else like that? Like you're at school and the whole time you had friends, but you didn't have friend, capital F, aggressive, like where's the Ben Affleck to my Matt Damon? Like, you know, where's my Batfleck? I'm looking for him and he's nowhere. And so I remember distinctly, I really remember this, five years old, I'm in reception, I got my best friend, we're in class together, he lives down the road from me, everything's cool. Then you go out to year one, and how many people know that you grow in maturity a lot? No, you don't really. But reception to year one, and suddenly we're in different classes. And I was like, oh, that sucks, but we'll play in the playground, we live down the road from each other. And so we're in the playground, Uh, sorry, we're, we're chatting at home after school one day, and he's like, I've made a new friend. I say, what do you mean you've made a new friend? I am your friend. I'm not quite understanding what you're trying to tell me here. And he said, no, no, no. I've made this other friend in my new class, and I want to play with him as well. I was like, what's this as well business? Like, I am, don't you know I am your one, right? Fun fact I learned this week, did you know Leo DiCaprio and Ryan, no, not Leo, Timberlake and Ryan Gosling are really good mates. I don't know why, I just think that's very cool. That one's for free, no Greek or anything. (laughs) And I don't mind whether I'm Gosling or Timberlake in this analogy, but either way, I was just like, I I don't know what's going on, my friend is gone. So you grow up and then you go to high school and suddenly I've I've got another best mate in year eight, like great, okay, I'm in a brand new school, I need somebody to know to hold on to because it's terrifying being a year eight. (laughs) in a new school. And so I have this new friend, and then this new kid comes to school, and my mate's like, hey, why don't we get this guy hanging out with us? I like him too. I'm like, no, it's happening again. This is twice. Unacceptable. Then I go through high school, and the same thing's happening. I go to uni, and I meet this dude, and I'm like, I like this guy. I want to hang out more with him. He's like, hey, why don't we hang out with this other guy? I'm like, no. Three times in a row I've looked for my best friend and three times I've been denied. Only to realize that actually I was the new best friend in the last case. So, you know, that was a bit more of a, a, bit more of a shine. But what ended up happening, particularly in this last case, is, is you learn something, right? As you grow up, you realize that you can have more deeper friendships, that you can actually go a bit wider with that. You don't have to have one best friend, but it takes a long 
time to learn. And I think there is actually a reason, whether you're willing to admit it or not, that this taps into something in most of our psyches. Something that we really want, the desire to have someone who truly understands us. There is something at the heart of every human being they long to know and be known. To truly say, here I am. Am I loved? Am I accepted? Can I be who I am with you? And so eventually I discovered that you can have your Ben Affleck and you can also have your like Ryan Gosling. You can have both friends. It's okay. You can go deep in that together because true friendship is one that actually makes room. It's one that expands. But the kind of friendship we're talking about tonight in filial friendship is not the kind where I go, I'm friends with two-thirds of this room. It's not that kind of thing. It's a deeper, more profound friendship. So we're going to unpack that tonight. And for those of you here who are between the ages of 18 and 25, you really need to listen up. Because something happens when you finish school. You graduate, praise God, you finish your exams. Shout out to every year 12 here who's finished their exams so far, and prayers up to those that haven't. And then you begin to find your way in the world outside of the confines of school. And you're pumped pumped about this. You've been waiting for it your whole life. And suddenly you begin to find your confines, and you start to say things like, so weird. I'm just growing apart from this friend I was at school with. Now, the reason is because your friendship was partly created by the fact that you were forced to spend time together every single day, and now you're not. And so the friendship starts to change and evolve. But for people who hit 18, 19, you begin to go your separate ways. You begin to find new friendship groups. But unless you are open, willing, ready, and able to engage with new friends, you won't be able to build the friendships that are actually going to last the test of time ones that are going to last for you now into forever. So Arabella here, she's going to start making friends. She'll make them at childcare. She'll make them at family. She'll make them at church and kindy and school and whatever. But for the bulk of those friendships, the really, really long-term meaningful ones will come about 18 years from now. That's when she'll start to make those friends statistically that last the distance. Now, why, why are we so unwilling to talk about deep friendships? And yes, I'm mostly talking to the men in the room. Because stereotype or not, there is this thing we do as men where we're basically like, if you want to talk about uh, sports and cars and home renovations, I'm totally fine with it. And maybe Netflix. And if we're going deep, I'll tell you how my kids are in one sentence or less. That's, that's the amount of emotional maturity I'm allowed to display right here. And that, that tends to be how we approach deep friendships as men. But there's a number of things that have been coming out to light recently, statistically, that show that there's an incredibly important need for men to have deep friendships. If you're a husband in the room, you're emotionally and mentally better off statistically for being married. Wives, not so much statistically. Like, every wife in the room is just like, mm-hmm, yeah, I know. Except mine. But everyone else understands this. And, and statistically, it's not to say women are worse off in marriage. They're not. But men are better off, much better off in marriage. Again, cue to wives nodding vigorously. But here's the other thing. Men are much better off in marriage, emotionally, mentally, in terms of how they're coping and how they're processing emotions and thoughts. But they also have to have time with other guys. So what I'm saying is, Guys have to be in a marriage where they're being cared for, but they also have to be able to go out at any time and hang out with their mates. Women, I totally understand that you're tuning out right now and writing a one-star Yelp review of this church, just as of your sheer fury. But 
All jokes aside, there is actually a necessity for this. Men are formed best in the presence of other men. There is a relaxing, a, a letting down of the guard. Now, women are like this too. They're shaped best in the, and formed best in the presence of other women. But the difference is they actually do it. <laughs> They'll actually go and hang out with other women and go, let me tell you what's going on in my life. Men are like, what, what do you mean what's actually going on in my life? I, I work and I sleep and I eat. Is there anything else going on in my life? Occasionally, yes, sometimes. But unless we go deeper, we miss an important part of life and an important kind of love that God is longing to help us understand and dig into and grow in. So I want to do something a little bit unorthodox tonight. I want us to learn a verse of Scripture, just one verse. And even if you're not somebody who currently follows Jesus, I think this is going to be helpful for you. So I'm going to pop it up on screen, and we're going to read it together. And then I'm going to do something that I infuriate my interns with and help you memorize Scripture together. So Geordie, can you chuck it up on screen for us? Proverbs 18.24 says this, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. So let's read that together. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. The reason I wanted to unpack this one simple little scripture is this. It just gives us these two clear directions for why friendships are important and how we can miss it. Because to start with, can you just go back to that first one for us, Jordan, so that we can read it? I mean, I know they've all got to memorize, but this is for me. One with many friends can be hard, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Now, I'm going to get into that second part in a minute, but I just, I just want to look at that first one. One with many friends may be harmed. Doesn't it seem like somebody with many friends should be doing really well? But there is a shallowness about our friendships in Counter Church. I don't know if you've ever heard of Facebook. Apparently, it's all the rage these days. So you know what it's like. On Facebook, you might have 1,000, 2,000 friends. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, you're not going out for dinner with all those people, right? In fact, some of them, you've just forgotten that you haven't blocked yet. Like, that's the only reason they're still there, right? And we notice what happens with this. We have people that we're not deeply connected to, and they post something on Facebook. And because we live in this polarized society where there is only right or wrong, and your one opinion shapes who you are as an entire human being... We arc up, fists up. Let's get into an online debate, which always goes really well, by the way. Have you noticed that? Really healthy dialogue in the online space. But when we have these many friends, it's bizarre. You would think we would be better off for it. But many, many, many shallow relationships is not necessarily better. Because there's many things that shallow relationships can take from you. You can say, I know this person well enough to trust them, when in fact you don't. Or you can say... I know this person well enough to spend more time with them and you overshare with them and suddenly they've got information about you that you actually can't necessarily trust them with. Shallow connections do cause problems. But I think worst of all is that a great volume of shallow connections leads us to believe that maybe this is all that friendship can be. So C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about friends that stay closer than a brother, says this. He says there are basically two kinds of friends when people think of close friendships. There are what I call companions and friends. Now, he calls it companionship. John Howard once called it mateship. It's, it's just a line that people use to say, these are people that you like. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Like think of a footy club or a netball club and the atmosphere, that camaraderie, that friendship. It is a good thing, but it is not the same as filial friendship. 
It is not the same. It's not as deep. It's not as profound. Because in Scripture, we see this different picture of what friendship can be. In Proverbs, we see all this wisdom about the importance of deep friendships. The gospel describes Jesus spending time and traveling with close companions. The book of Acts shows how the early church was full of trust and rich, deep relationships. Perhaps the best picture, though, is from the Old Testament books in the histories and the story of David and Jonathan. Now, a quick Cliff Notes version of David and Jonathan. It was a complicated relationship. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Basically, he was next in line for the throne. David was kind of the like man of the people. He was this shepherd boy, underdog story, came along, killed Goliath. Even if you've never been in church before, you probably heard David and Goliath as a phrase. Killed Goliath and became kind of the hero of the people so that many of the people were sort of looking at each other going, maybe he should be our king. And Saul definitely thought that. He was definitely envious and concerned about David. So he tried to tie him down. And one of the ways he did that was by marrying off to one of his daughters, awkwardly for me, called Michael. Just happens to be my name. It's always a little awkward to see in print. Anyway, David and Michael had this slightly dysfunctional relationship where the first half of their relationship was spent with her desperately trying to impress him. And the second half was her full of scorn and anger towards him. Meanwhile, David's got this relationship with Saul where Saul is envious and full of hate and bitterness. That's the family dynamic David got to live in. So all of your family dynamics feel much better right about now. Into this steps Jonathan, heir to the king, brother to Michael, and friend of David. And this is what we hear about this, that it was a friendship in spite of what was surrounding them. Yes, it was probably born out of their proximity and the fact that David's elevated to this position of power and Jonathan's in a position of power, but it was a friendship that endured despite circumstances. See, Jonathan wanted a friendship that lasted and David wanted a friendship that lasted. This is what scripture says about them. I just want to go over this super quickly. And this is right as their friendship began. We kind of hear it from Jonathan's perspective. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, it says, When David had finished speaking with Saul, the king, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant, which just means a promise before God, with David because he loved him as much as himself. There's that phrase again. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. These are symbols of power, symbols of trust to say, I trust you with everything. You've got to bear in mind, the common people thought that David would probably be the next king. Jonathan is next in line for the throne. And he says, I trust you with everything. And they lived a life as brothers worthy of that trust. And Jonathan and Saul died about the same time. And David is reflecting on it. He's basically doing a eulogy at the start of the book of 2 Kings. And he says this, 2 Kings one twenty six, from the start to now the finish. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. For David, the depth of the friendship he had with Jonathan was far more profound than anything he'd had in relationships. Now, David had been married multiple times, so possibly wasn't the best guy to go to for relationship advice. But in terms of friendship, there was a depth of friendship that he and Jonathan had that couldn't be shaken. It could not be shaken. And this is the deep kind of friendship that God wants you to explore. A kind of friendship that goes far beyond like romantic attraction and goes far beyond simple companionship to, hey, what's going on? What's in your life? 
but can actually start asking deep, deep questions. It's a spiritual friendship. These are friendships that give deep, mutual, life-giving, godly relationship. Godly relationship. The same as we are meant to have with God. There is a mutuality about this friendship. That as you begin to carve it out and go deeper and deeper with it, you can actually find yourself in a place of trust that supersedes anything else you've ever had in your life. And the beauty of it is you don't have to go chasing a romantic relationship at all. This friendship can be right here in front of you. I just want to offer a few quick pieces of advice on why to pursue this in your life, and then we're going to finish up. And the first one's this. A spiritual friendship is both close and distant. Because it's not romantic, if you're in a romantic relationship with somebody, please spend a lot of time with them. Like, get to know them as a human being. Now, do this in a spiritual friendship too, but because that romantic relationship edge isn't there, if you go, all right, I can't hang tomorrow, they're like, cool, no worries. And there's a depth of trust you build over time to go, it's okay for us to have distance. And then we come back and are closer than ever. And if you're an adult, especially somebody who's had kids or you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, you know that there is a pace of life that comes when you start to work full time, when you have children where you go, we can't hang every day. This is not a reality. If you're married, you're hanging out every day. You're there. You're interacting. You're engaging. But when you've got this deep spiritual friendship, you have to develop it in a way that you can be distant and remain close. It is critical. But you can do that in a spiritual friendship. The other beauty of it is a spiritual friendship, like I was saying before, doesn't have to be monogamous. You can have two, three, four people, and your love for each other and the enjoyment you get from your friends engaging and interacting with each other actually expands the strength of the relationship. C.S. Lewis once remarked after a friend of his died, I know, a lot of C.S. Lewis, he's so good. A friend of his died and he said, you know, it's not that I miss him, but I miss how my other friend used to spend time with him. I miss that part of my friend that I've lost. I've lost the engagement and reaction from my other friend. Does that make sense? There is something you lose there as well. Spiritual friendships, by the way, are never too much effort. It's easy to hang out with a spiritual friend. They're just somebody who for, it's very low maintenance. You're like, yes, I can do this all day. So you should love hanging out with those people. So spiritual friendship can be both close and distant. Second one's this. In spiritual friendships, people can share honestly. In a spiritual friendship, you need to be able to share exactly what you're going through. Everything, the deepest, rawest emotions, you have to be able to find someone, and it takes time, that over time you can build this up and go, I need to share exactly where I'm at. I need you to not only be able to share that, but to, for you to be able to see what's behind me sharing the stuff I can't even see yet, because we've built our relationship up that much. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Because in a spiritual friendship, there's never condemnation or judgment. And even better, you don't fear it. You just go, I know this person. To the depth of my being, I know my friend, and they're not judging me. They are loving me. But, point number three, in a spiritual friendship, you can be challenged. Because we do this thing in all our friendships, all our friendships, by the way, every relationship we have, where we have relational currency, right? So imagine that every relationship you are in is a bank. And every time something positive happens as an engagement, you're making a deposit. 
another deposit, go out for coffee, another deposit, buy them a present, another deposit, text them when you're thinking of them, another deposit, etc., etc., etc. And then there will come a time where you go, ooh, I need to make a withdrawal. <laughs> for example, somebody might be doing something absurdly wrong, and you go, I, as your friend, I need to call you out on this. I, I got to make a withdrawal from the relationship bank here and go, and go actually, don't behave like that. Don't talk like that. Don't talk about our other friends behind, my, behind their back that way. Don't, don't go and behave that way. Don't go and take that substance. Don't go and engage in that relationship. Spiritual friendships have to be able to give deposits again and again and again at a high level of trust, but they also have to be able to withdraw. And friends, when you get into one of these friendships, make sure you build up your emotional intelligence so that you know if you've deposited enough to withdraw. Because you've all been in a situation where somebody's like, maybe it's happening right now, I don't know, where somebody's like, hey, you can't do this. And you just think, who the hell are you? Why are you talking to me like that? And you get up in arms. Why? Because the spiritual relationship isn't strong enough. There's not enough deposits in the bank that somebody withdraws and you go, don't speak to me that way. You don't know me. You don't know, you know, classic 18-year-old response. No offense, 18-year-olds. You don't know me, mom. You don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. But a spiritual friend does know you. And so when they make a withdrawal, you put up with it. In fact, you might get to the point like I am with my dearest friend, I've got, I've got two spiritual friends. I've got my wife, of course, and then I have a brother in arms. And my dear friend, I come to him and I go, this is going on in my life. Can you tell me honestly if I'm to blame here? And I'm not looking for affirmation. I'm looking for clarity. I, I don't want to be affirmed like, no, Mike, you're the best. You're doing so well. Like This guy would not do that anyway. <laughs> He's too much of a straight shooter. And so I come to him and I say, I want growth. I don't want a pat on the back. That's what you get from a spiritual friend. And some of you might be thinking, well, I've been hurt by that before. But no, 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 you haven't. You've been hurt by someone who's overdrawn, who's overdrawn that relational currency. If you have somebody who's depositing, 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 who loves you no matter what, who goes through everything with you, then they'll be able to take that withdrawal and you'll have to learn to sit and listen and go, okay, there's got to be some wisdom in this because they wouldn't say this otherwise. We're trusting their love. Uh, Proverbs 27:17 calls it iron sharpening iron. Now, if you've ever sharpened a knife, you know that occasionally sparks fly. So there might be some sparks, but in the end, you get what you need, which is a sharpened knife. That's the aim of a spiritual friendship. Two quick ones to finish. Spiritual friendships are there in all seasons. We've touched on this already. But those who you go deep with in friendship, the way God has designed, are there in all seasons, in and out of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is made for adversity. The kind of friendship you build in a spiritual friendship isn't built on a good week. It's built on a covenant, a promise, a, a, a commitment to be friends for the long term. And finally, it's this, that spiritual friendships bring us closer to Jesus. Now, friendships exist without Jesus, of course. You've had plenty of friends. Many of them have been really deep, really meaningful. But it is something we lose when we don't have Jesus. Because a spiritual friendship's aim is not just for you to live your best life, but actually for you to live God's best life. And when we go deeper into that spiritual friendship, 
We find that this is somebody who, as they're correcting us and nudging us and encouraging us, what they're doing is steering us towards the vision of the future that God has for us, something that God lays out and Jesus lays out and calls the kingdom of God, where the world, the way that God has longed for it to be, is beginning to be transformed and shaped by the works of your hands and feet as you pursue God wholeheartedly and you begin to go on this path of following Jesus and you have these friends alongside of you who are course correcting you. I used, to, I used to be a rower, asterisk. I was the guy that sat in the front steering. Yeah, so I uh, didn't quite have the physique of the other rowers, but that's all right. But my job was to make sure they stayed on course. So these four muscly rowers would just row as hard as they could, and if I didn't pull the strings to keep them on course, didn't matter. They weren't going to get where they wanted to go. In a spiritual friendship, we're pulling those strings to stay on course for Jesus. Um, for some of you here tonight, this, this might have been a really helpful message, but for others, it might be disheartening. Because one of the things I hear a lot is the same thing that six-year-old me felt on the playground. That is a sense, particularly among younger generations, that we feel lonely. And for some of you, it may be that you've heard this and you're like, great, spiritual friendship, sounds great, cool. But I've never had a friend who I can trust to that level, ever. And in fact, every time I feel like I'm trusting someone to that level, I feel like I'm being betrayed. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. All I want is for somebody to look at me and see me as I am and value me for that. But the good news is, friends, we have a friend who stays closer than a brother. We have a friend who came down to get rid of every gap between us and God. We have a friend who sticks like glue, who sees who we are inside and out and loves us regardless. We have a friend who wasn't waiting for us to get it right before they extended the hand of friendship, but extended the hand of friendship even as we were treating them like an enemy. This is a friend who, when we threw stones, we threw insults, he threw up press. And when we called out for a crucifixion, he called out for forgiveness. This is not a figurative friend. This is not a made-up friend. This is not someone off in the sky who is distant. This is God who came down to be with us. Speaking of powerful middle names, one of my sons, his middle name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because he is the presence of God to us. He is a tiny little person in whom God has imbued potential and hope and a future. And just like my son, just like Arabella, God came down to earth as a baby and grew up and developed friendships, deep friendships. He had these 12 friends he called the disciples. He had these three intimate friends, Peter, James, and John, that he spent time with, like iron sharpening iron. And as they grew, he grew, and he lived the perfect life that we were meant to live. He lived on behalf of us. Because as we were stumbling around trying to make our way in the world, Jesus was here creating the way for us. He, in fact, is the way. And this is a friend who right now, if you've never had the chance to do it before, and you've never made the decision, is calling on you to put your trust in him. He is the friend who stays closer than a brother. Deep spiritual friendships are powerful, but they will always let you down because they're filled with humans. They'll let you down because you're in it. And I'm in it. 
but Jesus will never let you down. Jesus has made the way for you to have a friendship with God. He says something profound to his disciples. Bear in mind, this is God. He's come down. He talks to his disciples and he says, I I don't call you my servants anymore. I call you my friends because I've given you everything that God's given to me. Power, wisdom, knowledge, love. It's all yours. Jesus loves you. Jesus trusts you. And he's calling you home. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.